It's a great day in Tarpon Springs, and welcome to the Tarpon Springs app. This podcast is brought to you by the Tarpon Springs app that you can download in the App Store and Google Play. Just simply type in Tarpon Springs and download the app. So let's get to the show this morning. Let's hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll get this show started. Thank you. Hey, this is Jason from Brighter Days Brewing in Tarpon Springs, Florida, welcoming you to come up and enjoy a beer with us out on our outdoor patio right off the Pinellas Trail. While you're in town, please support other local businesses. We got all the drinkeries. We got breweries, wineries, distilleries. Come on up here and have a great time. Hope to see you soon. Hi, we want to welcome all our listeners back to the show. Um, this is part two. We're still with Richard Green, and uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit um, of what went on after he left Korea and got back to the States. And uh, let's pick up from there. You got back home uh, with your wife and family, and you were telling us where you moved to. Uh, where did you go from there? Went to Fort Hood, Texas. We stayed there for about two years, and uh, we went to Germany. And uh, we were over there for about about a year in Mannheim. And I had uh, volunteered for Vietnam. And they said, well, you can go, but you're going to go as a stevedore. What's a stevedore? Ah, that's what I said, too. I had to go home and look it up in the dictionary. A stevedore is a man that loads and unloads ships. And I said, what the heck? I'm going to go. So I got to Vietnam and uh, what year is this? What's this? This 1966. 66. And I in Saigon and I got put on a patrol boat. I was running a patrol boat up and down the Song Nai River. And uh, I made I was E6 at the time, Staff Sergeant E6. And I went before the promotion board and uh, I made E7, and they sent me up river to the, to uh, Long Bend, where I off loaded and unloaded barges, ammunition barges. When they brought the ammunition in, they'd uh, they'd bring them up river on a, on a barge, and we'd offload them, put them on trucks, and send them up to the front or wherever they were needed. Right. And I stayed there for four months, five months. And I came back, and they sent me to Fort Eustis, Virginia. Well, the first sergeant and I didn't, were both tankers, and uh, we wanted out of the stevedore business. And uh, we went to Washington, jumping up and down in the uh, personnel office, wanting to go back to tanks. Well, they sent him to, to Berlin, and they sent me to Mannheim. And in Mannheim, uh, I volunteered for flight school, and uh, I stayed there about a year, and they brought me back to go to flight school. Oh. Now, where did you do the flight school? Back here in the States? Yeah. At Fort Wallace, Texas, I went to primary helicopter flight training. And that was five months, and then they sent me to Fort Rucker, Alabama, four months for uh, transition to the actually the go, go into instruments and transition into Hueys. 
and I graduated. You have to get your, your warrant officer bar before you get your wings because you got to be an officer to fly. So they give us our, our warrant one day and the next day they give us, excuse me, they give us our wings. And we went up to, uh, I went to uh, warrant officer, maintenance officer's course in, in Fort Eustis, Virginia. And I stayed there for 30 days and there was a guy named Ski. I can't remember his last name, but I knew him from before. And uh, he was assigned to Fort Eustis, Virginia. And I was TDY. Well, I was TDY, I was drawing max TDY pay. I was getting $720 a month. And they bring that check around in the classroom and hand it out. And I'd turn around and say, hey, Ski, look at this, $700. And he was only getting 40. $40. <laughs> yeah, because he was assigned to Fort Eustis, Virginia. Uh-huh. In fact, he was lucky to get the 40. <laughs> That's a big difference, $700 to $40, man. <laughs> so then they uh, graduated from flight school, or AMARC, and uh, they sent me down to Savannah, Georgia, to uh, Hunter Army Airfield to uh, learn how to fly Cobras. And... Uh, had a, had a blast flying Cobras. Those dang things are only three feet wide. Uh-huh. And if... Uh, front and rear pilot yeah. in the front and aviator in the back. No, the gunner's in the front. Gunner's in the front. The pilot's in the back. Okay. And uh, you're on your own. Now, you got trained in the Cobras, so, so was that in the early 70s or... Yeah, that was early, it sure was. Early 70s, yeah. And then they sent me to... Uh, to Vietnam from there. I went to Wei and uh, Wei Phu Bai. And we worked uh, the Ashaw Valley mainly, and then they sent us up to Quan uh, Tri, which is about 10 miles from the uh, DMZ of the dividing north and south of Vietnam. And we worked Quezon and uh, the Quezon Plateau. Now, were you, flying, you were flying the Cobras while you were in Vietnam? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I flew Cobras there. In fact, um, when uh, my unit, they told me, I, me and another guy, uh, that we were to take a Huey and, and down south to turn it in. Well, we, we took off in a daisy chain of about 30 aircraft going to go down and turn them in. Well, they couldn't handle us when we got to where we were going. So they sent us on down to um, Canto, down in the Delta. And we, uh, we washed that aircraft inside and out and stayed drunk the rest of the time. <laughs> now, combat though, how much combat was involved when you were flying the, the Cobras, did you? I got quite a bit of combat. Huh? Yeah. In fact, um, when I went back, tried to get back to my unit, my unit had stood down and they came home. And I was, there I was, no unit. So they sent me, they sent me down to uh, the first cab. And I was in a maintenance down there. And I talked to Captain Wynn, who was my boss. 
about getting some front seat time. And uh, we would fly out in uh, Analog locked in, and uh, I would fly front seat. In fact, um, they, uh, we were coming back, and, we, and my uh, little brewer, who was flying uh, the aircraft, said, okay, you've got the aircraft. And I said, fine. And I was working these little stubby controls, and we were just diving and turning and weaving. And somebody up ahead said, uh, taking fire. And boy, he grabbed those controls away from me, and we flew up there. And uh, what it was, the CNC was getting ready to land, and uh, there was, uh, they were going to fly over a, uh, an open field supposedly open field and landed an old bird dog strip airplane strip in a rubber tree plantation and uh, these guys would flip back a bamboo covering shoot at us with 51 caliber machine guns well we started rolling in and uh, we we shot them up and i couldn't shoot my guns wouldn't work and uh, we broke off and we were orbiting and they put the, uh, the scout down there. And he said, uh, oh God, I'm taking fire. I'm hit. And we started diving in there and we're shooting everything we got. And uh, we knocked out, there was, come to find out there was four guns down there. And we got three of them and we broke off and we we're following uh, Dickie Hansen and the loach back too. That uh, bird dog strip, airplane strip. And uh, Lou says, When we get in there, I want you to open that hatch. I said, Okay. Just grab that fire extinguisher by the elbow. I said, Okay. And Dickie Hansen, he's touching down and he's just weaving because he's only got one foot and he's trying to stay on that runway. And we're, we're doing probably about 25 or 30 knots and Lou's hollering. Jump, jump! I said, you stop this damned airplane, I'll stop. But I wasn't jumping out at 30 miles an hour. Not for nobody. But they had, uh, D Dickie had landed right right among the, uh, the infantry, our infantry platoon, and they were out there helping him. But the old Blue Brewer couldn't get me to jump, jump out of that aircraft for nothing. <laughs> I wasn't gonna either. Well then now, was, was your, um... Was your aircraft in distress? Was it? No, Dickie Hanson was. His was. He was wanting yeah. you to jump to help him. Yeah. He uh, he had gone down there. We had, we had rolled in and did, did shooting. And Dickie Hanson had gone over and he's flying over these trees. Well, he went back over to get a body count. Well, when he flew back over there, the fourth gun opened up his cover and he shot a couple of rounds at Dickie and uh, he shot the, the pedal off his loach control his foot controls and when he did when they did that they shot the heel off his boot and blew out the, the chin bubble and his cowboy hat we all wore Stetsons and cowboy hats and uh, shot the hell out of his cowboy hat behind it down behind his console he didn't get hit. No, he didn't get it. He didn't get hurt. 
that he got the hell scared out of him, and I don't blame him. But anyway, uh, I flew front seat that day and another day, and uh, Captain Wins told me that I had to go back to uh, Benoit because they had some test flights they needed me to do, and I said, fine. And um, Oh, like Tommy Townsend, that's his name, took my place flying, flying front seat and uh, they shot him down with a surface-to-air missile, killed them both. Oh, the same aircraft that you had been flying yeah, in. Yeah, and Tommy Townsend and Lou Brewer, names on the wall. In D.C.? Yeah. Oh. Now you've been there to see the wall, haven't you? Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. I've seen the, the roving wall, too. Right. Oh yeah. So after you left that, when you um, they shipped you back out of there, did you go back to flying again? Or yeah. Did you, oh yeah. You went back. Oh yeah. I, I love to fly. In fact, uh, we went back when, when uh, Marvin Kemper and I went back to 101st and Fort Campbell. We were sitting there one night. Uh, partying hard and uh, he said did you ever get your license and I said no I don't need it he said, yeah you do yeah you do so we agreed the next next work day which is Monday we'd take an aircraft to go down to Nashville and I'd go get take the test well we took a Cobra and we flew down in we parked it well about oh Quite a ways up the runway, there was two Hueys sitting there. They had two Hue, four Hue guys up there taking the test. Well, Marvin, he came up there and he sat out there in the outer office while I went in to take the test. And the guy told, the instructor told me that you guys don't pass it the first time. Well, I had just took a check ride, and I knew that I knew most of the answers that they were going to ask me, and I knew how to. I knew the area, so I, when I come time to plot a flight, I had no problem. I missed one or two questions, and the guy was flabbergasted. And then he, and he said, uh, now we got one more thing to do. And I said, what's that? I don't need a check ride. I just had one here last week. He said, oh yeah, got to take you out and make sure you're all right. Because he had been looking out the window at those Hueys. And he just knew he was going to get a ride to Huey. Well, we started out of the building, and uh, he's heading towards Huey's. I said, hey, over there. Boy, he licked his lips, and I thought he was crying when he was so happy that he was going to get to ride in the Cobra. But we did. We got in that Cobra and flew around the traffic pattern a couple of times. And the guy was happy as a... He stuck him in the front seat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, was he wasn't getting in the back. That's my chair. Yeah. So he got a free ride in the yep. Cobra. Yeah. He probably don't get he that loves much. It. <laughs> he loved it. And that was what? Where was that located at when you did the flight? Nashville. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Was there a military base there? Or was it just no? A, that was, was just that was a free and airport. Oh, and you went there. Yeah. That's where you had to go get the yeah. FAA instructor to do yeah. that. So you had to go through, and I got a pilot's license. I had to go through all that and everything. So I did do it with the, the so I have, test. So I have a uh, commercial helicopter with instrument. And I've got about 
2,200 or 2,200 hours flying time. And I got out of the army, or out of the army, and uh, I got laid off from Bell Helicopter. And I went to work for this uh, job shop. Well, a guy, he couldn't do, he was doing aircraft work, but he couldn't, he, he couldn't do any work on any parts unless he was in the shop. And when we got talking on break one day, he found out that I was a helicopter pilot and I had been through maintenance school. And he took my license and he got me a uh, FAA machinist card. So now I'm the guy that uh, comes time to do work on out on aircraft. You got to check with me. Okay. So anyway, how many years did you do that for? I I. I didn't, I didn't work for him very long, um, probably about six months, and they called me back to Bell Helicopter. So what, which factory were you working at Bell, in Texas? Or? I was, well, that's their main plant in Fort Worth, Texas, Hearst, Texas. Right. And uh, I worked as a uh, deburr person, taking sharp edges off the metal, and I, I uh, Work my way over to uh, B mill operator, and uh, trying to think, I got I got laid off. And uh, when the Iranian, that's what it was, the Iranian thing came back, fell down. They brought all of the Bell helicopter people back, and they put them back to work in the, in the machine shops. Well, they put a lot of us out the door. And uh, when uh, when they brought me back, they put me as a uh, as an A mill operator, which was great. And then they moved me to foreman of the drills. So now I'm foreman of the drills, and me and my boss didn't get along, and I got fired from that job after about six months. And uh, went back to being a mill operator. They laid me off again. I went out the door and I went to work in my boss's uh, little job shop he had in his garage. We were making cannons, eight, six and eight pound cannons. And uh, when they called, and he was teaching me how to run a lathe. So when they called me back, I went back as a lathe operator. I had no idea what a lathe, a turret lathe operator did. I lasted there for a couple of years. <laughs> you've learned, you've learned so many trades in the whole experience. Yes, there. I it's have. Like I really have. No, I think it was a great. I think it was a great time in the period period you grew up in and everything that you were in. Because I have uncles that are your age that you know they both went to Vietnam and things like that and listened to the stories and everything. But I think it's real important for our generation and for my kids. I have a son who's 25 for their generation to understand what these what Richard and people like him went through and during this time and all the stuff that was going on during this time today I don't think uh, uh, youth respects enough of what what was taking place during those times in our country and everything and I thank Richard for being on the show and I really thank you for uh, giving us that information it was very nice meeting you I know your wife Gloria is here and hey Gloria she's been listening and enjoying it but I thank you for being on the show. Um, this is a two-part series. We'll be uh, putting it up. Uh, and uh, enjoy listening to it. And if you have any questions, you know how to email us. And uh, 
if you happen to be somebody out there that knows Richard that might hear this show and you want to reach out, just reach out through the email on the broadcast. All right. Thank you for listening today. And thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This is the Tarpon Springs podcast. If you have any information you'd like to get on the Tarpon Springs podcast, please email us at info at tarponspringsapp.com and we'd be glad to uh, let our listeners listen to your information on, uh, on our episode. So we want to thank everyone for listening today and good day.